I'm Zach. I'm Riff. I'm Jim. And I'm Kevin. And it's time for episode number 258 of Video Games Hot Dog, the podcast about video games recorded in three different countries. Is it 258 already? Did we do it 257? Didn't we? Ah, fuck, I don't know. I think we did. Okay. It's, it's like two to three. We're in the sovereign nation of Austin, Texas. Yeah, oh. the Lone Star State. Jim is in the People's Republic of Dublin Pleasanton. I, I don't remember it's where you it, live anymore. It's, it's that general direction, yeah. Just <laughs> gesture to the southeast of, of places people actually want to live in the Bay Area. I don't actually know if that's a real place or just like uh, the name that the like the the hole that the Bart descends into. Like it's mm-hmm. the it's the monster that eats all the trains that go that direction. Oh, let's say it's like the emergence <laughs> hole where new Bart trains are born. Right. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, it's, it's an the, actual. It's an actual city. I looked it up. Okay. Wait. Is it is it one city or two cities? Uh, I assumed it was two. I guess I didn't look it up well enough because I can't tell you. Dublin that. is definitely one city. Dublin uh, is a city. Okay. Yeah, in all Ireland. Right. And Pleasanton is a city. It must be. Okay. Niceville. And they both have, like, gaping monsters at the middle that consume all life. Kevin and I are at Fantastic Fest, and so should Riff and Jim be, because yeah, I think great. that you would both really, really like this event. Yeah, Except right. that the event doesn't happen in Riff's basement, so that <laughs> is automatically automatically <laughs> a, a point against it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, they, I'm slightly less introverted than that, but, like, I don't need another conference between PAX and Indiecade. Hmm. Yeah, that is, uh, it is unfortunate. It's, it is such a, a pleasant, refreshing conference. Like for there's no press. Everyone is cool. Everyone is relaxed there. The space is not particularly crowded ever because most of the time, most of the attendees are in movies. I'm guessing that it's in like movie theaters. It's probably like a lot like a steam dev days or a PAX dev, which I've not been to where it's just a bunch of devs hanging out, except that it takes place in an Alamo draft house where when you're sitting there for talks, they just bring you beer forever. Wow. It's, see, this it, sounds great to Jim who doesn't really drink and Riff who doesn't really like beer. Yeah. yeah. Well, they will I also assume, bring you a... I also bring they you have some kind of cider or something. Soda. They do. They have a really good now. cider. So, yeah, yeah, they have absinthe, uh, but that they put extra thujone in. <laughs> just a sidecar of cyanide. <laughs> Um, lab synth. So Fantastic Fest is a movie <laughs> festival where they play. There's so there's like some movie came out here that was like secretly the next M Night Shyamalan movie or yeah. something. It was uh, just premiered here. Like Not, on a, it premiered here. Yeah. Uh, they always do a secret screening of something. Mm. And the the but a lot of it is just uh, I went and saw Phantasm last night. Yeah, how was nice. the first time ever? Fucking terrible. Oh yeah, I do not it's, understand. Oh, it's oh, good. My God, it's, it's so. Best. I guess I wasn't expecting. It's not the best. Hellraiser is the best, but it's second best. Like Hellraiser is actually creepy. Okay, like the Hellraiser. The, the, oh, is Phantasm God. in the Hellraiser universe? No, no. it's it's, it's okay. Phantasm is, is a lot schlockier than than Hellraiser. Yeah, it's I would so say, I, like but I, I love. I it. did not expect it to be really campy and like the acting to be really bad and the plot to like make no sense. The see the the thing that makes Hell or Phantasm cool is that the second movie explains some of the stuff that you were confused about from the first movie, but adds more questions, and then the third one builds on that again and. And then eventually they did not make any more, so the, you're left with a lot of <laughs> they a lot of unanswered ma- they questions. But have just made one. Yeah, and, I've heard they just made a new one. 
and like apparently the tall man actor is still alive and the like bald headed but ponytail guy is still alive and is in it. I, I think Even the tall he... man died recently, but but they had his footage shot apparently. Mm. Um, which is sad. They, they... Or maybe it doesn't matter whether he's alive or dead to act in the <laughs> Here's here's a thing. <clears throat> so you see the guy with the ponytail die. And then later on, he's explaining to the he's just back and explaining to the kid that it was all a dream, but all of the other characters are actually dead. Yes, and it does turn out to not have been a dream, but he's still alive. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> and yeah, so it's, mm. it's uh, yeah. I mean, I I can I, I can understand because because you're 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 a guy that 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 doesn't enjoy a bad thing for the humor of a bad thing. Most yeah, and times. I just didn't know so, that that's what. So I understand was. why you're not like, enjoying this. It's it's not bad in the way that Manos Troll or Troll Two is bad, but it, it's it's schlocky, and and that's part of why I like it. Yeah, I I think I just expected it to be like a like Hellraiser sort of serious, low budget, but not yeah yeah you know like art. Art Hellraiser's kind of artsy, you know, yeah, or like the first yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street or something, right? Is, like that in that vein. And the, first, and the first Nightmare on Elm Street, I would not call artsy. You wouldn't. I feel like it's it is too much of a like a, 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 stock a slasher, serial, stock slasher, uh, teenage slasher film. Yeah, yeah I guess. But uh, compared it to the others, really cool it's things, not. But. And, but it's not like intentionally wisecracky the way all the sequels are. Okay. Right, because do they does he even like cheat to the he starts cheating to the camera he starts breaking the fourth wall. Eventually, in the series, at least in the TV show, he does for sure. Does he does he not do that in the movies? Oh, you mean the TV show where he's like the narrator in yeah, between well, scenes? Yeah. yeah, like he's <laughs> so like clearly. he's like the late night movie. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it counts as breaking the fourth wall if you're the MC. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> it's. I'm sure we could have some sort of ontological <laughs> argument about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess Rod Serling constantly breaking the fourth wall but he doesn't exist in the fiction that is the weird thing freddy freddy is both the narrator and he, he exists both inside and outside the fiction he just didn't like always he show up in, the, in his episodes though, yeah right? no sometimes they were just like twilight zoney yeah in fact were they always did he did were did sla- freddy's nightmares did any of them take place in the universe <laughs> where freddy krueger was actually in the fiction I don't think so. Listeners, I don't, I don't remember. Listeners, tell us this. Somebody knows. Was that? Did it last more than one season? I don't know. I don't remember. I remember seeing a few of them. I remember a, an image from that show that just haunted me for this, to this day, which was someone finishing a race, and as they crossed the ribbon <sighs> of the finish line, it just cuts their head off. It had been replaced <laughs> by razor wire. Yeah. Uh, so like. That's well, that, your prize for winning first place. Is that kind of mm-hmm. makes me want to watch Cube again. You're the first person to get decapitated. <laughs> um, really, they just couldn't. Uh, they accidentally <laughs> built that one, two, three platform way too tall. So they just had to <laughs> decapitate the winners so that they could put their heads on it at the right height for the photos. Well, we have a lot of talk. We have a lot of stuff to talk about about Fantastic Fest. But what, what have you what have you been up to, Jim? Oh man, I'm not ready for that one. Come around to me. <laughs> that's a that's huh. That should be the easy question. Uh, well, what have you been? What, so what, what you have for lunch? The today, problem Jim? I have the problem I have with that question is that what I'm doing 
for the past couple of months has either been either playing video games or making a game I can't talk about. Okay. Have you been you've been playing video games you can't talk about? Uh, no, no, but I'll get to those in the next segment. I see. Okay. What about you, Riff? What did you have for lunch? Uh, I haven't eaten lunch yet. I went what? and bought some sushi though, but it's in my fridge. Riff, it's it's like well into evening. Yeah, I kind of woke up late because my phone didn't wake me up. I like slept through my phone alarm. Huh. Okay. That's a good story. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I did. Uh, I I did. Uh, uh, I played a little bit of that board game that I mentioned last week that I hadn't played yet. Warhammer Quest Silver Tower. Oh yeah. Is that is it meant for one player or are you? It is. Some sort of it's a weird it, thing. No, it's a cooperative game, so it can be played one player. Um, you you kind of need to do two characters the way I did three characters for Pandemic Legacy, but it, it works fine because the monsters are all sort of chart AI controlled. Um, it's pretty good as a game. It's it's not super uh, it's not super complex or anything. It's pretty straightforward. You know, random tile layout, dungeon crawl thing. You get to your guys get to the end of a tile and you d- you do the explore action and another tile drops down and. According to a set scenario or just randomly it's some of both the there's a number of scenarios i think there's five four between four and six different scenarios and those tell you which cards out of a deck of exploration cards representing all the different tiles in the box you take and then it tells you how to build a deck out of these cards so that like the boss room you don't accidentally draw that one first and, and so you've got like a small deck that is a subset of all the possible tiles in the game and that makes up that scenario um, and then yeah you're just you're drawing uh, you're drawing these exploration cards and putting down the indicated tile and the exploration card also says like you know when when this tile goes into play roll on you know, monster chart B or C to see what monsters are in this room. Or it actually, it also has a thing. Uh, it has a book of numbered paragraphs. And uh, whenever a random event happens, you roll two dice as a D66 to, uh, to, to give you your random encounter. And so that gives you, you know, both unexpected random encounters without having to deal with another deck of cards, but each one also has a little paragraph of, of flavor text for it. And because D66 doesn't use all the digits, that means it also has like, you know, 20 through 25 that you can't, like the numbers 20 through 25 can't be rolled on a D66. So it has those extra numbers available for... What is D66? 20 and... Tw- I mean, 21 can be rolled. You can't oh, roll yeah, 27, right. 28, 29, That's what I or meant. Yeah. 30. Tw- I yeah. Meant, yeah, I meant 27. You roll, a di- you roll two dice. You roll two, two, d- six-sided, two dice. six-sided dice, and they are the tens and the ones digit of a right. of a number. Yeah, I explained that. So there's bad. a bunch of... It skips a bunch of stuff. Yeah, so there are yeah. 36 so there's possibilities a bunch of, So there's a bunch of numbers skipped that can't be rolled on those <clears> dice, so those get used as uh, scenario text... So, so it's like when you start this scenario, read, you know, read paragraph 37. And when you get in the boss room, you read paragraph blah, blah, blah. And sometimes there's, 
choices like the the encounter i played the boss room had some uh some features and i don't want to say what they were because i don't want to spoil it but it said you know if x condition happens read paragraph you know 39 and if y condition happens and so different stuff happens and it's kind of cool um they also have a pretty cool mechanic for the way actions work the way it it ties your uh your actions and your health together with each character has a uh, a pool of four dice and at the beginning of your turn you roll these dice and then leave them on your card with whatever numbers you rolled up and you can take one action per die but each action has a cost associated with it that corresponds to the numbers you rolled on the dice so like your very so like a move action your your most simple action costs 1 so you'll be able to use it on any of the dice you rolled because you're always going to roll at least a 1 but a complex like area of effect attack action might only be useful with a 5 or better so you have to have a die that rolled a 5 or a 6 in order to spend that die for that action hmm so it kind of gives you like a random amount of mana every turn. Yeah, kind of. Like you can always do four things, but they're not necessarily, but they won't necessarily be able to be your best th- and most expensive things. And then is at- like a basic attack also doable with one, or uh, are you ever most, just like most characters have an attack that that is usable with a one? Uh, not hmm. all of them. I don't know. I'm not sure. But the the two characters I played did both have a simple attack that could be used with a one. And then those dice are also your health because every time you take a wound, that wound, that little cardboard wound counter covers up one of your boxes on your card for where your dice go. So now you only have three dice to spend next turn. Mm. I do you find that that is fun, like when your character actually gets weaker as you take damage in any game. Healing damage in this game is pretty easy, so it wasn't a big deal. Uh, but I mean, mm, I mean, just, just as a general philosophical question, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I agree that damage should be indicated somehow. I'm, I'm intrigued by our plan to do like damage, making you stronger up to a point in our, in West of Loathing. Loathing. Yeah. That's in, I'm, I'm super curious what, what, how people will feel about that. Yeah. There's definitely a, uh, a game design trope that you should try to balance for drama, which is to say, give an advantage to the weaker player if it's a PvP thing, or mm-hmm. you can do this. You can do the same thing in principle for a PvE game. Um, but there are a lot of games that are deliberately the opposite. Um, and or do you, you let the the stronger player start to have more of an advantage. Yeah, well, if I like, for example, like, and this isn't a good example because nobody likes this game, but Monopoly's like that, where mm. so the, the advantage tends to balloon, and mm. I mean, well, that's that's well, definitely something that people's game, board game makers and designers now seem to be starting to be aware of and are trying to avoid is runaway leader syndrome. Right, and I mean, I think that's I think it's you know best to, to maximize drama. You know, I think that's more fun, but yeah. that's just a decision that, that that's more of an axiom than like, it's definitely more fun to do that. 
I think it's a, uh, and if you look at like games from other cultures, like I, I think maximizing fairness is is kind of an American trope. Hmm. I don't know, but I don't have the I don't have any examples to back that up. I just get the sense of it from reading about other games. Yeah, I mean, Mark Rosewater talks a lot about how games need a catch up mechanic, but. I don't know that I believe that magic super has what, one. What is the magics? Like powerful, like board clearing, five mana abilities and stuff. Like, I, like I think he would argue that in Hearthstone, like flame strike is a catch up mechanic because, like, if you didn't draw enough, like early game stuff, it's probably because you drew late game stuff, and late game stuff will overcome an early game advantage. Mm. Um, well, plus any given game of Magic or Hearthstone is very small, so you it evens out over the course of multiple games rather than the course of one long board game, right? Also, just inherently, like, uh, if you're drawing from a deck, if you draw the worst cards at the beginning, you're going to draw the better ones later. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Although, I mean, it's not like a Magic deck is just a spectrum of good cards and bad cards right it's like yeah, fair enough d- different cards are valuable at different times and so it's like drawing all of your all of your late game cards early and all of your early game cards late just means you'll have lost by the time the late game gets there yeah fair, yeah yeah fair but enough. but it's i mean oh speaking of which i played a really strange thing while i was uh i went to two uh, magic pre-release events this past weekend for the new set and when i was sitting at, just at a table with all the other nerds waiting for to get the signal to open our pacts, pacts, yeah, <laughs> waiting for the, your dark uh, gifts. Yeah, uh, and this this kid across from me who had until this point said nothing at all just said, "Do you want to play Mental Magic?" And I said, "Yes." What's that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he said, "Well, here's what you do: you make a deck out of twenty five basic lands five of each color and you shuffle it and then you draw a hand of four of them you can play any land face down as a mana source and it can be used to to tap to produce any color of mana a card in your hand can be played as a spell of that land's color any magic card that you can remember And it just acts as that card. And it remains that card. So if you say, I'm going to cast, you know, I'm going to cast Lanowar Elves, and they, he says, I'm going to unsummon it with this blue, then it remains a Lanowar Elves when it's in your hand. So you have to remember that. (laughs) But it was like, it was funny because I just, like, he had obviously, like, played more magic than I had. And so I was like, "Uh, Lanowar Elves, uh, Drudge Skeletons. He said, what's that? Like, uh, well, black and one for a one-one black that regenerates with a black, and like, and he was just doing these like weird like. He talked about how overpowered blue was in that format because blue has like counter spells that you can play by right. spending life rather than yeah. spending mana. So just having like, you should just mull for a handful of islands, which that's bullshit. Like that is not a fun way of playing right. that game. But you still need the other colors to be out on the board so you can play you need you need something to power your spells right yeah you can't 
so it's it, it's partially balanced like you can't play a black lotus because there you don't have any colorless lands in your hand so you just can't play any artifacts uh. Wait, artifacts require colorless mana they're, they are colorless spells, oh, and so, right. so they, they, like they an exist. island can only be a blue spell. Right. Like so they're, you yeah. just don't have those spells do not yeah. exist. I mean, if you put like Things. some Urza's factories in your hand or whatever, maybe Ooh. maybe you'd be able to do that, but you, you wouldn't be able to play them as lands. Right. Um, anyway, I, that was an interesting exercise. We didn't get to finish the game before we started, and I think That's, it would have ultimately been really frustrating. Like that would be a fun game to play against yourself because then you'd be guaranteed to have the exact same knowledge pool to it's, work from it's weird because it's like what does it have the scrabble mechanic where like i don't believe that's a card and you have to check <laughs> oh yeah that's a good like, question i don't know if you have to because bluffing seems like a like he didn't yeah. know about drudge like, yeah just make I it oh yeah it's a, a one it's a one black mana 25 25 that has haste. trample yeah <laughs> like, uh, sorry i went <laughs> like, um but yeah, I mean, it was fun. like, I just get like, oh, fuck, what's any white card? I don't know. <laughs> like, circle of protection. Uh, yeah, circle yeah, of protection Sarah black. Angel. Uh, yeah. Uh, blue yeah. was, was Shahrazad a blue spell? <laughs> That'd be a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it probably would be a blue spell. Yeah. I don't remember what the casting that, cost was. That's the one that just makes it so you play a sub game. Yeah. yeah. You, you Do you take half your deck? Or do you just take your remained? You 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 I take the current game. Like you move to a different table with think, what's left I of think your deck. You take what's remaining. You play yeah. a new game of Magic with just those cards, yeah. and then whoever wins, whoever loses that game, loses half, half their, their life, life in the original yeah. game. Yeah, and they can so. stack indefinitely, so you can have a game within a game within a game. Well, theoretically, you could only have four. It yeah, could only go four, four, four deep. Four right? of those in your deck, unless four the other player. player has a yeah, bunch. The of other them. player yeah. also had. Well, but it can you can do that. Once you come pop up the stack, if you play it again, then it, that's true. Oh, yeah, I guess it, if you get had it out of your graveyard somehow, yeah. If you could time, well, because your graveyard or... goes back into your deck for oh, when you return it? to oh, the other game. Okay. Oh, does it? You don't wow. just you don't just toss the the cards in the sub game out. Oh right. So yeah, when you pop back up from the fourth game, yeah, that card is now into back into the third game. Yeah, that card you... is now back in your deck. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just, just to, to be that much more obnoxious. Yeah, that that seems that seems pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, Let me tell you how popular I was in high school. <laughs> uh. Oh, but uh, in summary, uh, Warhammer Quest Silver Tower. It's pretty solid board game. It's I don't think it's gonna knock anyone's socks off, but the the miniatures might knock your socks off. So if you're into if you're into wargame figs and have not seen what Citadel Miniatures has been doing in the last 20 years, then you they're might, you plastic, might find right? it more. Yeah, they're, they're plastic, but they have like five times the detail of the metal ones I was buying for Blood Bowl like 20 years ago. They're huh. amazing. Yeah, Chris, Chris Thurston was saying that they were like, you would basically be screwed if you didn't paint the pieces before putting them together. Uh-huh. Uh... At least for somebody like who, uh, for, who like he said he was not very good at painting. Hmm. Any interest? You would you definitely need them, some real small brushes. Nah, I'm probably not going to go. I'm probably not going to go that hard. I I might Do I might go down to the hobby store and buy a more elaborate Citadel miniature for the purpose of painting it. 
But these are like little guys. I think if I was going to spend the time and buying paints and stuff, I would buy one of the big like dragons or something. Do you not still have all the paints? I guess they. I think I. They, they only last. So yeah, long. they they dry out after a while. I think I do have some still that are still good. Do you remember the names of any of the Games Workshop branded like grim? Is there like grim dark gray and? Uh, they're all stuff like that, bone white and yeah. I, I don't I don't remember any of the crazier ones off the top of my head. Goblin green. I'm I'm imagining future generations uh, archaeologists being like. And then strangely, in the 20th century, statues were very small, but just like in the ancient Greek times, they painted all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll be pretty well preserved. Yeah. Just be like marble, marble Eldar with... <laughs> right. There's vacant eyes. Yep. Hmm. I want to use think... my... Sorry, I want to use my uh, talking about my life slot. I figured out what I was going to say. I want to <laughs> okay, plug good. Jay Tholen's Kickstarter for uh, oh, yeah. Hypnospace oh, yeah. Outlaw. Uh, he's the guy Everybody who made Drop C. Go, go back. It looks we're maybe his favorite podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he threw some serious shade on Idle Thumbs. Oh, did he? Was, did you not see that tweet? Uh, uh, so, I didn't notice. Yeah, he was, so good. he was making animated GIFs for everybody who backed the Kickstarter in a certain period, and one of them was, thanks to Chris Remo from Idle Thumbs, my favorite podcast, except that hot dog one. <laughs> well, may, except maybe that hot dog one. Maybe. That's yeah. good. Um, no, that, I'm really, really glad that because it was like that Kickstarter was really languishing and it seemed like he did a kind of a desperate push and uh, it has definitely picked up a few days ago and it like has just really worked and that makes me really really happy well plus it's Uh, it it hasn't hit the last two days yet and because there's always a big there's always a massive jump because that's when all the people that push the tell me about this later button that's when all the all those people get reminded about it yeah, yeah, I guess I don't think about that because I never use, use it. Like I just yeah. indiscriminately back Kickstarters left and right. Yeah, I, I don't I know. If, my pledge. I don't know if this is common, but I talked to a couple of backers when I was doing a Kickstarter, who told me that they only ever back at the last minute just to maximize the drama. Yeah. Yeah, it's exciting. I mean, I think on like a thing that is ninety five percent backed with eight hours left is more likely to get funded how do you how do you balance a pvp kickstarter Mm. to maximize drama you make it so the more successful your kickstarter is the worse your product is when you finally deliver it (laughs) oh Oh, man what's up broken age (laughs) (laughs) no i man i don't know that's probably a fine product star Star citizen is definitely the poster child for that oh well we don't know it's bad yet or I, what was that? Uh, Chris, Mighty Number Chris Nine. Thurston says it's great. So, I have heard that Mighty Number Nine is really terrible. Yeah. What about what about an actual PvP Kickstarter where it's two Kickstarters, but oh, that are ba- that are like battling and they yeah, can't, you can't that back are both seesaw. of them or something. If you back something. one, yeah. it takes money away from the other. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and then who? I wonder, huh? if, I wonder if Luke would be up for that. Like, like Does it just a little bit of special back end code where it's like it, other people's pledges. Who keeps the money? <laughs> who knows? No, nobody like, gets maybe the paid. Mo- like the, the the Kickstarter, the people running the Kickstarter have to pay Kickstarter. Hmm, okay. Yeah. <laughs> if the other one does well enough to cancel out all of their their pledges. Yep. Yeah. 
it just it, it starts to undo individual backers pledges starting with the lowest numbered ones yeah. so the drama increases over time <laughs> because it's like oh shit they're eventually going to get to Notch's pledge and we're going to drop the negative $40,000 <laughs> Uh, hmm, nachos pledge. Yeah, was just that would be really nachos good. Pledge. That would be a really good scent for furniture polish. <laughs> <laughs> That's just like because you don't always want your furniture to smell like lemons. Don't ever do. use uh, pledge uh, as a floor polish. Okay, because that shit is slippery as balls. <laughs> like I, I was in a situation where it had been sprayed on a table, but also on the floor around the table and nearly died. <laughs> just, just walking past. I wow. would just argue. Don't ever not have carpet. Uh, God, you're still, you're still on this jag. <laughs> I have definitely like multiple times in my life slipped and like slid down a flight of stairs. Cause I was walking in socks down a carpeted flight of stairs. Uh, don't walk mm. around in your goddamn yeah, socks. Don't walk around in your socks. Yeah. Well, but but that also shoes works. or barefoot. That also it's, works with socks at a hardwood floor. So like, yeah, that, that backs up the no socks idea. Have you tried hardwood socks? <laughs> no, I haven't. That's you mean like idea. the like the Dutch wear? Is, is, yeah, just yeah. thinner, like thinner ones. Yeah. Like they go, be, no, the ones that go inside the shoes, the Dutch wear. There's got to be an Idle Thumbs sponsor that sells hardwood socks by mail. Yeah. Artisanal, artisanal hardwood socks. Yeah. God, we're up to like how many mattress? Delivery companies. Wait, is there more than just oh, Casper yeah, Hauser yes. or whatever? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's Casper. There's Hauser. Um, the yeah, man. I think Hauser is the one that delivers a house to your mattress. Yeah. That, <laughs> when I yeah, it's like a it's like a charity for the homeless. When it's I started noticing the there was a that, second the mattress, a second company selling mattresses online, advertising using the exact same language as the first one. That, yep. that was really clever because they've taken like the idea like people probably don't remember who the actual mattress seller is they're probably just whoever ha- they hear the most the most recent advertisement for they'll buy their mattress yeah so they're like this first company built up the idea of buying a mattress up over online by mail and then this second company is just like jumping on the band bandwagon like I it's really uh, it was really a clever move. I, I'm just going to be like the opposite of every other podcast here, and I am going to say that I've never slept on one, but there is no fucking way that those mattresses are any good. I, I've slept on one that's pretty good. Ugh. Sorry. Okay, yeah, but you slept on like the same Ikea futon mattress on top of a pile of milk crates for like 25 years. It was you, not 25 you years. It was regularly 20. Like <laughs> fall asleep sitting in a chair. Like you can sleep on anything. Sure. This is a skill that you have. I'm not like yeah. making fun of you. Like, you <laughs> uh, but I am. I, I would. I would say that the the one Casper mattress that I've slept on it was very comfortable. Your mattress reviews, though, do are not have a lot of overwhelmingly weight. positive, even for things that are not mattresses. <laughs> also, yeah, that elephant that I slept on was yeah. was great. Yeah, I, I slept on. Uh, I slept on the floor at a Wait, friend's Airbnb, on, and it was, it was. We're not talking about the in the spare room. <laughs> um. um yeah. What else? Underwear? I mean, underwear, that's fine. You buy that online anyway. No, you don't. Well, from Amazon, maybe, if you mm. if you figure out what kind you like. Uh, you just replace them every week. You don't when, go to the store and just try on every pair to make sure they fit. <laughs> yeah, I do. Well, but I only try on, I only try on the women's underwear, when it, like, okay. because the men's is always in those plastic bags. Well, right, you open them up. 
You just oh, okay. Try them. Bring, Usually bring the dressing rooms are full, so you just you know. Do and it including, like, you open them in such a way that you can also wear the the bag. Well, you use, as, the, you use the bag as a condom to pr- protect the the underwear oh, from right. the filth. Okay. It could be the other way around, or and vice versa. Because ev- everyone's been trying. Yeah, it's on. You, you, you don't want that underwear. So- underwear. You don't want that underwear soaking up your precious filth. <laughs> That's right. That's <clears throat> mine. I made that. I'm entitled to that. <laughs> yep. Is a is a man not entitled to the filth of his own crotch? <laughs> no, no, says me undies. It belongs to the internet. So we have to start a new company, Filth of the Loins. Now, yeah, yeah. Uh, filth, filth of the Loom. Man, are we ready to talk about video games? We okay. have something to talk about. Sure. sure. Jim, you want to go first? Okay. I've been playing a game called Flappy Golf on my oh, phone. Dear. Do we oh, yeah. have we do we know about this one? Yeah, I've played it. Yeah. Um it is a uh effectively a platformer where your controls are to like give a little it, it's it's like a d- double jump system but you have infinite double jumps and you can go jump left or right. And the the goal is to get the ball into the hole. It's really simple. Um, well, you don't have infinite, right? Like the number you use is what par is measured against. Right, right. So you get measured by like how many flaps you make. Um, and it's you know it's it's got a really good variety of um, of levels and game mechanics. Um, and I'm in the. It, it's 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 pretty fun. It's pretty fun. It's a good time waster. Uh, I am, but I am in the late game now, and like a lot of platformers that get really hard, it has the problem of the way it gets hard is it the way it doesn't feel like you're actually getting better at the challenge. It mostly feels like you're trying until you get lucky, because attempts are short enough that you can like just oh I was really lucky for that five seconds. Yeah, I forget how it works. Is it like because Super Stickman Golf that series you play through like nine holes, and so if you like really fuck up one hole, you don't. It's not like you can just go back and do it again. It like ruins your score for the round. Is is this just like hole by hole? This is just hole by hole. Yeah, Mm. it's flat by flap. It it also does this weird thing where um, you get rated uh, gold or silver or bronze stars for how many flaps it took you to complete a level and the bronze star is actually really easy to get you can fuck up pretty badly and still get it um but it only ever tells you how many stars you have and it gates your progress by how many stars you have rather than like caring at all about the with the quality of the stars which I thought was interesting it it, it gets it's it becomes a um like player self-enforced uh, uh, goal to seek out gold stars and everything, which I, is actually kind of neat. Although I would like, you know, some acknowledgement that I've been doing better than the bare minimum. Does it d- is is getting a bronze star on every hole always enough to unlock all progress? As far so far, yes. Um, hmm. well, and does the does the gold star count for more than the bronze star? Uh, it does, I think it, it doesn't. doesn't. It does not yeah, seem well. to. Yeah. Okay. So there are two uh, courses right at the end of the level select that seem to imply that there's more later. Like there's it talks about like super goals of some kind. So maybe that one demands more of you. But I'm not sure. I haven't gotten there yet, so I'm not sure what that entails. 
and I've been playing. I, I put like a couple of hours into The Witcher Three, um, hmm. uh, which was probably a mistake because there's no way I'm going to have time to really sink my teeth into that game in general. Um, but I, it, it's it's a solid action RPG. It, it, it like I was surprised to like. I was surprised that I didn't hate the writing. You know, it seems like it's actually reasonably well done. Um, but it takes, like, when I, 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 I say I was like two hours in, I feel like I'm barely out of the tutorial. It's super, super slow paced. Does it have the same incredibly confusing combat system that The Witcher 1 had? So, of those two hours, I've probably spent three minutes in combat. Oh. Um... So it's really hard to say. So, but but it was straightforward enough. It actually reminded me like, um, like a slightly more complicated Dark Souls. Um, it's got the it's got the weak and the strong attack buttons, and then there's a a block and a parry button, and then there's a spell menu. And I, I want to say that's it, but actually that's just what I remember. Because I, Riff, did you play The Witcher 1? I haven't played any of them. Huh. I played Two Worlds 2. Hmm. I think that's the nearest thing I have played to The Witcher. I think I eventually played that one too on your recommendation. Did it have a horse in it? I think so, yeah. Then I definitely played it. <laughs> you play all games with horses? Mm hmm. There's research. Uh, the Witcher 3. I remember in The Witcher 1, like, you had three different swords that were equipped like you could toggle between them and I don't know if that was a thing that you were supposed to do inside of an individual fight but they all had kind of different styles and they were designed for like fighting different kinds of people or different numbers of people and this is like this is your anti-chef sword uh But then these icons would pop up, and there was just some kind of weird timing-based thing that was just in the UI rather than in the character animations. Yeah, I don't... Well, okay, so I think there are stances in the new one. Um, but I also got the impression that... So, one of the things about The Witcher 3 is that the difficulty selector has a uh, difficulty level that makes it obvious that you're just here for the story, and it just makes the combat extremely easy. And so, to that extent, everything, almost everything about the combat is optional. But I get the impression that the combat system is much, much better than it was in previous Witcher games. How's the misogyny? Uh, So far, not so bad. There was a... uh, There was a pretty blatant ass shot where, like... Well, the the protagonist's love interest. This was in a dream sequence, so I guess that excuses everything. Where the protagonist's love interest is sitting, like instead of a, in a position where like she would be remotely comfortable, she's sitting to show her ass to the camera. Um, but then there was why a, is there a camera there? Uh, so that the player can see what's happening in the game. Um, uh, but then there's a uh, a pretty like pretty likable, you know. A spunky, strong kind of an eleven-year-old girl character that shows up later. Um, that I think is uh, that that made me feel pretty good about the game's um, you know representation of women. But 
it's it's hard to say because like after that I don't think I've seen a single female character so maybe maybe not so great did they did they get rid of the like collecting nude trading cards of women that I'm, you fuck I'm pretty sure that's not in this game but uh, I only I'm, I only believe that by reputation because I certainly haven't gotten far enough to be sure okay I mean I guess like the argument could be and I'm I'm sure was made that this is an existing character based on a series of books and being like a real womanizer is a big part of the character sure yeah and that's one thing about this game like it feels like a a Bioware or a Bethesda game except that in those games you play kind of a cipher that you define but this game is definitely about a specific person um and so I think what was what was what people found gross about collecting women to fuck in the first game was that you were like the the sex was the quest reward um and I think like even if you even if that's exactly what's happening happening mechanically you can still make that not gross via theming by like like when you turn in the quest then you actually have like a cutscene with a conversation and the conversation leads to the sex because that's actually how it happens in real life um but yeah you do a quest for someone right and then you have a conversation with them and then you have sex with them exactly okay. yes <laughs> um and so I don't know if, like, having not played that first game, I don't know if that's what that was doing. Um, but even if Did you it, ever kill ten goblins for a girl, and then after you bring back all the goblin teeth, then she tells you she has a boyfriend? <laughs> in, in World of Warcraft, that happened all the time. Um, you having um, fun with it, though? Yeah. Oh, but I was going to... Um, the, the, the other part of that thought was... Even if they did have that, you know, like, conversation leads to sex, masking the quest leads to sex, the collectible trading card aspect of it was like, okay, that's that's way over the line. That's really gross. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty enjoyable. It's uh, reasonably well written. Um, and I, yeah, I, I would... I want to play more of it, but the same can be said of thousands of other games that I'm never going to play more of. So, who knows? Well, when when you get to heaven, you'll be able to play all of those games. <laughs> right. I get to play all the games that I marked as not safe for life. <laughs> yep. But just those. Right, yes. So, really, that's why that's why The Witcher 3 is in there, because you start collecting uh, trading cards of really grievous injuries. <laughs> And just like you know, photographs of worms coming out of people's skin and stuff. Yeah. What about you, Riff? Um. Well, let's see. Other than uh, other than World of Warcraft and uh, Picross 3D, I think the only new thing I've been playing was um, the sequel to the Game Boy Color uh, Pokemon card game. Uh, Gary Butterfield mentioned in uh, in Twitter that that this was a thing and that he was bummed because uh, there was never a uh, 
there was never an English translation for it. Like it didn't, it didn't come overseas, but I looked it up and it did turn out that there was a complete English fan patch. And then I did a little bit more looking and it turned out that people have been making cartridges with the, with the patched version of the ROM and you can get them on like eBay and Etsy and shit. So I picked one up and I've been playing through that. I haven't gotten very far, so I don't, I don't, uh, I can't really review it yet, but uh, but it's. it's I remember good. buying the Pokemon card game cartridge for like the DS. Or no, not the DS. The first, like the Game Boy Advance, and it because I just got it. It was at the used video game store for like two dollars or something. So I was just like, I'll try this, and I remember it being kind of fun. Yeah, it's it's pretty much uh, it's it's more of the same. It's it's a little more. Uh, uh, a little more detailed. They put in more cards, and there's a there's a little computer uh, uh, guy like where where the the PC would be in a normal Pokemon game. There's a, also a computer, but this one will will judge your deck and tell you if you've made any grievous errors or or if your percentages are wrong and and things. And you know, it's it's got it's like it's the same game again, but more of it and with some quality of life features added. So it's it's cool. I mean, and is it based on the set of cards in the Pokemon trading card game, circa nineteen ninety seven or whatever? Yeah, it's like it's like the first two sets or something like that. I think. Whereas the whereas the original one was just the first set. We have been playing all kinds of crazy shit. Yeah. At Fantastic Arcade. Man, I bet. Tell us we all about have- it. We also did a really good room escape. Do you happen to know that guy's company's name? I do not. So they do run games. I should track down his business card that you got and put it in the show notes at least when I publish this. Did this I get a, the business card? I thought he did. I thought he gave it to you. No. no. Shit. I don't know. We signed up for his mailing list, so yeah. we'll figure it out. This episode is going to be late uh, because I'm not going to be able to edit it until I get back to San Francisco. Uh, Saying that inside the episode does not help. <laughs> this episode is gonna, late. And has been I'm late. Sorry. Are you going to do it in enough time to, for, for uh, the Kickstarter, for the Hypnospace Outlaw Kickstarter? How how many days are left on that? I think he's I got think like eight six, days. I think it's six, six days. E- e- okay. Yeah, I, I imagine that I will publish this on Saturday. As part of as cool. part of the uh, KOL oh, yeah, live con. stream thing, that oh, we have yeah. to do. Um, um, but yeah, it was a really good uh, a really good room escape that was just set up in one of the karaoke the private karaoke rooms at the Alamo Draft House just yep. for this event. Um, it was it's the Satanic Panic Room, uh, which apparently exists somewhere else in Portland. Maybe you can do it, and it it was cool because it. There were two reasons that I think that it was really good. One is that it had all of the elements of like, you know, they're just like goat skulls and ritual candles and shit, but it was really like kind of silly. Like it wasn't stupid, but it was lighthearted. It was like a lighthearted take on the like, you know, we were constantly exhorted to say hail Satan in unison. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is there was, he said, anytime you see this symbol and it was like an upside down cross made of orange duct tape, then what you are seeing is part of the bonus puzzle that is in the room. And if you solve the room, you get the rest of your time to try to solve the bonus puzzle. And if you solve the bonus puzzle, you get a free t-shirt. Hmm. Well, he said, you get a wonderful free gift. Spoiler alert. It's a t-shirt. Uh, but that was a great, I thought that was a great yeah, addition. Like the fact that you finishing it early rather than just like 
your reward being less fun, your reward <laughs> is more chances at a at a deeper challenge. Um, yeah, and that you guys just completely solved it without me. There there wasn't really enough room for four people to stand around the thing where it was. Uh, so I just sort of started help clean cleaning up the room. <laughs> uh, like, um, but yeah, we won some shirts by yep. solving a by solving a sick bonus puzzle. I was I like you was hoping that the token that we found that we traded for the shirts was, was the, the prize because yeah. it was sort of cooler than a shirt. Yeah. It was like this is just giant pentag like this pewter pentagram. Yeah. Um, but there was only one of them, so we would have had to like you know mail it back and forth. Right. <laughs> as our Cut ritual as our ritual sacrifices required. Oh yeah, into pieces of five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of them is for the devil. Oh right, yeah, yeah. You always have to give the devil his due. Um, we're we're going to do another uh, room escape uh, after this. Yeah, we're doing another room escape in a couple of hours uh, with Great. friend of the show, David Bass. Yay! Yeah. Yeah. Tell him I said hi. Will do. Um, something that is really neat, something that has happened repeatedly, and this is, this is why I say, Jim, that I think that you would like this. I have multiple times just randomly struck up conversations with people just being nice and hanging out, and then it turns out they're people whose work I'm familiar with and admire. Yeah, and I'm, I'm always into that. Yeah, it's so, so great. Like, I was sitting at one of the demo machines, and it, it somebody had run a game that I didn't want to play, and I just sort of, like, leaned over and asked the guy next to me, I'm like, hey, d- do you know how to get back to the game selection menu from this? And he was like, oh yeah, that one I think doesn't have a quit, so you just have to Alt F4 and it will automatically run the menu again. So I did, and then he had seen the talk that I gave about KOL and West of Loathing, and we started talking about that, and then he was talking about how he had to give a talk, and I was like, oh, what, what's what's your game? And he told me which one it was, but then it turned out that he was also the lead puzzle designer for Limbo and Inside. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. uh, who is just like making making indie games which he's yeah, he left, one, he left one already published yeah and the the thing that he has made now and that's coming out in a few weeks is called Thoth T-H-O-T-H and it is just this like oh, brutally so hard. difficult oh, great. Robotron slash Geometry Wars style game that is so so good yeah huh. um the, it's fantastic it's, it's got a couple of really clever mechanical ideas in it one is Real simple, you just move much faster when you're not shooting. Hmm. Um, yes, there's a lot of tactical uh, decisions about like when when you're when to fire and when not to fire. Um, and when you kill an enemy, they become a sort of a shadow version of themselves, which can still hurt you, but your shots pass through them, but they move faster. Yeah. So, Whoa. and and if you uh, don't focus fire on an enemy, uh, if they'll if heal. They heal. They'll heal damage. So you that you have to like pick yeah. somebody and target them down. Um, and it's got brutal but fair checkpointing. Like you'll you'll go through four levels. The fourth one is kind of a boss type encounter for whatever mechanic they've introduced, and then the the next one is a checkpoint that you can start the game at, and they'll introduce like some brand new mechanic, like yeah. these like impassable areas that toggle between you can go through them or you can't go through them every time you kill an enemy or you know oh, things crazy. that move around independently. It's so so good, yeah. and he. Like he he played it for a while in during his presentation, just showing it, and he's just like obviously so much better at it than anybody else is. And he talked about how 
in order to keep it interesting for him, after you've beaten all of the levels, there is another mode where it just procedurally generates levels by randomly mixing up the mechanics and configurations of enemies. Nice. And then an another one where there are just remixed, more difficult versions of all of the 64 levels. And then a mode where the way that the only way to win this mode is to beat all 64 levels in a row without losing one. Uh, yep. um, has he managed yeah. that? Yeah, he's yeah, he has now. gotten every, he's gotten every Chivo, so, uh, yeah. Thought. There's there's, a, there's a, also an achievement for completing the game in co-op mode, but only playing one player. Yeah, because <laughs> with with, with co-op, you're both moving around, but your weapon does like seventy percent the normal amount of damage. Yeah, and when one player dies, it becomes an extremely dangerous enemy wow. until the next level starts. Yeah, so you basically just have to deal with lower damage output and this like crazy fast uh like an accelerating heat seeking yeah enemy it's so uh, so brutal it's great i played uh that super russian roulette that was another guy that we just yeah, randomly Andy's met game. um andy ryan bald schneid schneidbart uh steinbeck uh, but it's that just Russian roulette with the NES zapper. It's an actual NES cart that he just apparently just wrote in NES assembly. Yep. Um, and then manufactured the cartridges. Yeah. And they're, the, he's, the, he does like, like electrical engineering as his like yeah. job. So he's super hmm. into building cool he, systems. He talked about a game that he put in front of a friend of his who was really good at Mega Man and this game was just Mega Man 1 except every time you jump it randomly replaces a bite in memory with a random value oh my so gosh it's like just it's just like sort of random game genie codes that change every time you jump and it's he like just started most of the time it changes like a sound effect or something or like a bit of the music but yeah. then every now and then something really weird will happen that sounds your amazing suit falls, every now and then your just suit crashes. falls off yeah, yeah, yeah. Then eventually it will just crash super hard because you've changed too many memory locations but is that gettable yeah, on yeah. the net somewhere? I want to play that. I don't know. It isn't because it requires... So what it requires is a Nintendo uh, where you have replaced the RAM chip with a uh, a dual port RAM chip. Uh, where It doesn't the Nintendo, run on emulator or anything? Uh, actually, I mean, he might be able to do it. Actually, that's not true. Yeah, you might you might be able to do an emulated version okay. of it. But like, the, he, like, part of his deal is he like he wants to do all of these things on actual hardware right, like right. for real um and so like what he did is like he mod he modded his, a nintendo where it's, it is a completely stock nintendo except the ram chip has been replaced by one of these dual port ones so the the nintendo just thinks it's a regular ram chip but he can both read and write to any ram location as needed um which allows him to both sort of query things in real time to sort of learn what is going With, on like other RAM. hardware yeah, because it just because it's like just he's just the, got something else plugged <clears throat> into the to yeah. the live RAM. It's just chip like a, it's like Nintendo. a serial port out that you can just like pull all the data off. Mm. Um, but there's but like the the RAM is also where the Nintendo is also like keeps tra track of its like clock, so you can just switch it to so that you just do frame by frame. You can like there's a bunch of stuff that um, you can just sort of do naturally, like that you would have to do with sort of you know machine assisted stuff. Did he make that Contra thing that they had at the bar? Which, what was the Contra thing at the bar? It was just Contra, except that there were you know two people playing Contra, but then 
an arbitrary number of people at this weird console with a bunch of dials and buttons and levers on it that just changed things about the physics of Contra. That wasn't, well, I mean, that might have been something else because there was, there's an astronaut game that's changing that was like four, oh maybe that's what i'm game. thinking of. there's there's a very similar thing which is a two player it's, it's so he can he's he teamed up with another guy who uh does a lot of his, his name is zach yeah Johnson. another guy named zachary johnson <laughs> who's a, a, a video game developer um and he does a bunch of like web development stuff and he uh made a thing called nest specter which uh, allows you to just like point your phone at a, at a URL and you get this little menu of options. And while somebody is playing a game, uh, you on, can, on a real Nintendo, on a real Nintendo. well, again, one of these dual, you know, yeah. like the, the dual Ram thing. Uh, but you, you then have a set a sort of a suite of options to be to, 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 to like changing things in the game. Like you can change the color palette or you can, um, okay. That's what I'm thinking. Of. I think yeah. I mixed up two different. Yeah. Um, all this, all this so stuff, all this stuff could definitely be done in emulation much more easily than it could be in hardware, and so like, well, well, it's it's, sure. it's cool to do it in the hardware, but it's also kind of limiting, both in terms of like the constraints of what you can actually do with hardware, and in terms of like the only people who can see it are people who actually come to your room, come to your bedroom, and watch it happen. Um, yeah, but that's pretty punk rock, right? I mean, it, yeah, but like, artificially so, right? Like you're working harder to make it more exclusive, as opposed or like, more genuine or more special. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like absolutely. No, I, I agree. I agree. But like, for example, um, I, I bet you could do the uh, the thing that changes a byte in RAM uh, when you jump. I bet you could do that with like a Lua script in a. There's an NES emulator that's scriptable that I forget that does, the name yeah, of. Yeah, that's he. That's what he was using in his presentation, actually. That so, like, okay. it, it is almost definitely true that he, you can do all this stuff uh, with the with the same tools in emulation. Yeah, but, like, and that that's, everything that he was showing was just in hardware. The scriptable uh, emulation is actually really powerful. I've seen um, there's there was the demonstration of it that I saw was someone running Super Mario Brothers and just dragging around enemies with the mouse. And then you do oh, you drop them, and then they just now they're over here now, and they fall from where they were to the ground, and yeah, because like it, the they knew the memory addresses of the yeah the all sprites. the all the physical wow. objects in the game have you know it's, it's a, there's a fixed layout of like here's the objects that you can have, and yeah Neat. the script looked at those and updated them. That's really cool. Yeah, I want to play Mega Man like that. Really, what I want to play is like a game that I'm really familiar with, like Castlevania. Yeah, one Castlevania with that. Legends oh, of yeah. Zelda. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we played a we played a sort of a, a a democratic version of Super Mario Brothers, where um, the, he so Zach Zachary Johnson also built this system called Luigi, which is sort of like a halfway between uh, Luigi and uh, a Ouija board. Uh, and the idea is if if more than 50% of the audience is pressing a control, the same control on the phone, so the phone gives you like a D-pad and two buttons, the A, B buttons. Um, if more than 50% of the audience is pressing something at the same time, it, it actuates that on the game. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so we, we played Super Mario Brothers and... Uh, as a group of like sixty people were able to collect collectively get past uh, zone one one. Nice, <laughs> um, which was super hard because there's a, a couple of places where you have to actually jump with a bit of finesse to to make that happen. Yeah, that's so. One of the problems I've had with like the Twitch Plays series is that 
well, it's it's kind of invisible. It's made invisible how much lag there is on Twitch. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're trying to play a game that requires any sort of like even a game like the levels in Pokemon where isn't isn't there a level in Pokemon Red where like if you make the wrong step you start over the room? Pretty much, yeah. 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 There's like a ledge that you had to climb but that you had to go left like twenty times in a row to get Right. To and so in order right, like like you need to coordinate really precisely to do that, and that's on top of like the thirty seconds of lag that is not obvious just from looking at the mess of commands scrolling in the chat window. And that was why, like, um, Twitch Plays Dark Souls, as initially conceived, was so completely hopeless. And, like, they had to institute the the mode where it's, like, there's the faux turn-based mode where, like, it actually waits 45 seconds for people to vote. Because what they're actually getting is, like, they get to see what's happening, and and then, like, what they say in the next five seconds is what actually matters. Right. It's like your roommate's plant getting watered, except that has like a day lag. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, we played there. Were, so there were a bunch of just like arcade machines set up in a room, and then there are also a bunch of computers. All with, the arcade things are games that are debuting here at Fantastic Arcade. That were yeah, like all made in association with Wagos Rancheros. Yeah. Um, all of those people Austin. are so fucking nice. Indie collective, yeah. Like, I was meeting a lot of these people for the first time, and, like, just, I don't know, man. Everything here is so great. It's, it is hard to, I, like, I have not been at an event that I just was as, like, comfortable and just kind of joyfully engaged in as this in a really, really long time. And I wonder... Indicate was like that. That is that is true. Like, once you knew some people, Indicate yeah. was like that. And this might also be because of that, right? Like, it's also that thing where it is the first few video game... Indus- the first few years of video game industry events that we went to yeah. were just miserable and hopeless and Very terrible. isolating. Until you meet enough people that, oh, now I'm a part of this scene. Alex, Alexander Martin was like the... The, I feel like the the person who sort of opened the doors in a lot of ways. No, yeah. for us, because we just like it ended up being a thing where it's like, oh, well, we're just mutual fans of yeah. each other, and so okay, like let's introduce each other to everyone that we know. Uh, this is Kevin. Now I'm done because he's the <laughs> only person that I know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, having played Kingdom of Loathing is actually not that uncommon. So I'm surprised you guys weren't able to use that as an in more easily. Yeah. Like, even if you're not still playing it, like, I, I bet a, a ton of game developers played that, you know, for a year in 2005 or what have you. Yeah. I mean, that that definitely... That bears out a fair bit. Yeah, that has happened. Um, but you still have to have that introduction. Cause yeah, and you also yeah, like you the, also have to like have some context for saying that that's what... Like, yeah, you yeah, know, you can't just go up I, to like, I weirdly say, feel like say what you did. I have finally reached the point in my career where I'm being allowed to speak at places, which has been huge for meeting new people, because like anyone who decides to go to that talk... You know, it probably did so for a reason, or maybe accidentally finds out that they're familiar with stuff. But yeah, it's uh, I don't know. It's I re- it really makes me want to do a better job of being really nice to people who look like they're having a bad time yeah. at yeah. things like this. But I'm I'm just really bad about that, and so is everyone else, and that's why 
I wonder if other scenes are like this. Like, I wonder Probably. if other industries are like this. Yeah, you know, there, there might be something. Certainly. There might be something extra difficult because the people who gravitate towards making games are tend to be introverted. Int- yeah, more introverted yeah. than some other fields. But you know, <clears throat> I, there's got to be there's introverts doing everything, right? So. Anyway, Fantastic Arcade is great. And also, it's just, like, free to go to. Yeah. That's like, the other thing that's kind of... Anyone can just walk in and play the games, and that yep. it's, like... It's, I don't know. I don't know how they do it. It's warm and welcome. Like, there was a period where we were in the Alamo, and they were testing cocktails, and so we just got... I just got to drink seven different cocktails for free. <laughs> they, yeah, and yeah, they were I'm all sold. Star Wars-themed cocktails. Yeah, they, it was super up they, my alley. <laughs> it was... The Alamo was doing some kind of thing where they're, they're, they do a themed cocktail for movie premieres, and yeah. they were figuring out which one they were going to do for the for Rogue One in December, yeah. and so they had, like, the cocktail people from all of the Alamo Drafthouse locations, like, make up a cocktail, and then, like, crowdsource which one was the best. Yep. Although apparently they're doing two. They have like sort of professional cocktail judges deciding which one is their favorite. And then they're going to sell that one and the crowd favorite, which just seems like a great way of doing things. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that was all. That's all just free. It's all just like. It sounds pretty good. You should fly me out there to go with you next year. Yeah. Yeah. Get it. We got a nice Airbnb. Yeah, we have to cross a river. And some railroad tracks to get to the Alamo. Nice. <laughs> yeah, and then like a real weedy path through yep. what is maybe a park or is maybe just mm-hmm. like an easement. It's like it's a, so. You, yeah. Do you remember that um, that San Diego Comic Con where we were trying to get somewhere crossing train tracks and a train had paused <laughs> where we were trying to cross, so we ended up climbing. Oh yeah, across through this, the train. Through yeah. the train. Yeah. <laughs> I do remember that we were trying. We were trying to get to a I think burger it, lunch. Didn't it like start moving again just as you were jumping yep. down? <laughs> yes, it did. This one, uh, the first night, Kevin got stranded on the other side because it had rained and the river rose to the point where the no. stones that we had been using to cross the river were no longer <laughs> above the water. And so then, then like, that night, coming home, I was trapped behind a train. I had like walked up to almost to the train tracks, and I was like. Oh, that sounds real loud. Oh my god, it's a train. <laughs> it's like, the thing the our Airbnb is like a half a mile from the venue or four miles from the venue, right. depending on whether we take this shortcut or not. So it's yeah. like fuck. San Diego sounds really dangerous. <laughs> well, this is this, this is Austin. Austin. Uh, the the okay. jump in the train thing was a different story of riffs from from, from, from Comic Con. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, um, it's real hobo murdery where we're going. It's the guy who made Downwell uh, has made a new game called Nim or Niem. Oh yeah, yeah. And I didn't know that. Really I didn't know cool. that was the same guy. Yeah, uh, and it's it's also a game maker game in this incredibly bizarre fake 3D, which is just stacks of sprites on top of each other. Yeah, it reminds me of some. Other game that I don't nuclear remember. throw maybe well no it doesn't really play like that oh, visually no. and the way that it, the way that it, the perspective on it works it reminds me of something else but yeah it's just a lot of two D sprites being used to fake a really weird camera yeah it's like I feel like it, if you were trying to write a fake parallax engine 
and you were like, whoa, that did a fucked up thing that was weird and funny, and then you just left it that way. Yeah, this it's, is it's cool. this is what you would end up with. Yeah, it's it's like just a. It seems like it's pretty straightforward, like running around killing things with swords. It's, it's only been like a month of development, so yeah. I imagine it might change direction a lot before the end. But yeah. it's it's really neat. Um, that's sort of my favorite game that I've played. That's polished. Um, I'm trying to think of what else we've what else I've seen. I definitely played something else that I wanted to talk about, but I don't remember. Was what it on it was. the laptops? Was it everything? Remember. Was it? I did not like everything. I haven't at played all. it yet. That's so that <laughs> guys. Is, I don't like everything. D- David O'Reilly's <laughs> the guy uh, that made Mountain. Like yeah, the it's a game where you can you can be absolutely anything in the world, right? You can be like an ant or a blade of grass or huh. the the dirt. Or something, and but it just means that everything is like not really rigged to move around as the player. It just sort of randomly anim like, and it's funny for a little while when you're like, I'm a deer, and the way that I move is just like moving forward in space and being instantaneously rotated to random angles as I do so. Okay, but I think like, I saw a video of this somewhere. It, I, it was just so much wandering around. Because there's no real point. Well, there's right? not. Yeah, there's just nothing really no, to do. But there was also no point to mountain per se. Yeah, but it wasn't. Yeah, I guess. I th- the you idea also couldn't making do, these sort but, of like artistic experiences but, is totally but great. Mountain was a thing that you just watched, right? Like mountain was a piece of non-interactive you, art. You interacted with it some. Oh, right? did you? I I never actually. You could spin it around, it. and you could. Change yeah, the. You can interact with the speed camera. Speed of things. I yeah, I don't remember specifically whether you got to do much to like. I thought you could change like the day-night cycle, maybe. Mm. The weather. Yeah, I don't remember. I feel like I'm forgetting something important that I wanted to talk about. But oh, uh, I got an email from uh, Stephen Day of Fruity Pebbles, the game. Oh yeah. Uh, he's got a website for his uh, game company now and has made a new game. I didn't, I just saw it very, uh, v- like right before we started recording. I'll put it in the show notes. Um, cause I also don't remember what the website is. Um, but he's made some new Pac-Man game. Oh, good. Um, nice. And the name of the company has, but in it. And I forget what it is. It's like, but mind software or something like mind I, to, butt. yeah. Um, oh yeah. It could have been the extension. It could be cloud something. Okay. <laughs> I think I turned that off though because it kept, <laughs> Cloud to butt kept changing, uh, like actual game data in KOL by when I would open an item or a monster or something that had the word cloud in, in a text field, it would replace it with butt and then it would get saved out as butt. Wow. That's so So, good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, good. (laughs) Yeah. It's. I'm glad that it happened, but I'm also d- decided that it should stop, and I think rightly so. Uh, there's some LED Matrix games. Oh yeah, those were neat. Uh, there's there's like a totally custom like I want to say thirty by sixteen like LED. No, it's, it's more than sixteen. It's like yeah, it's got to be it's thirty by sixty. LED screen, maybe something like that, um, and then with a kind of a just an old school like uh, scrolling text banner display that's like a seven by. Oh yeah, yeah. There were there were 80. a couple games. There were a couple games that were played on those. One horizontal, which was like a really fast paced low res pong oh, game, yeah. and then another one that was kind of like 
doodle jump, except you could only see a very like a, a, a vertical. Slice. You could only see a vertical slice of uh, <laughs> doodle jump. Um, yeah, which made it extremely difficult. Yeah, um, the big LED screen had a bunch of different games on it, and the controllers were just four four buttons. sets of four buttons arranged in in grids. Um, I didn't really play any of them though. Yeah, not really. Um, I'm trying to think of, the, of other games that are here. So there's there's Froggy Two by the Tetragon uh, Lady. Um, did you play? I, I don't remember if this is the right title. Yenke's Pyramid or Yenke's Triangle or something. No, I did not. Uh, it's like a puzzle game uh, where you are trying to match up the sides of triangles in a pattern, uh, and it is it's. The, the same kid who made, like, um, Circa Infinity and a couple of other games. Um, like, uh, <clears throat> apparently his whole aesthetic is these games, which are sort of, how do you put it, uh, ever-increasing scope. Like, Circa Infinity, you're sort of just... Like, fractal. Yeah, kind of. Kinda, you're, like, digging okay. into a thing. This one's just sort of triangles coming out. And we got, like, got a preview of the next game, and it looks super rad. It's like... Um, a pyramid version of Steven's Sausage Roll. <laughs> oh, huh. Yeah. I played a game uh, that I forgot to talk about last week. Uh, it is a probably the best Twine game I have ever played. Oh. I would say. And it is called Open Sorcery. I have no idea how old it is. Okay. Um, you can just play it on the on the the person who made its website. I don't remember who made it, but then there's also a version of it for sale on iOS that's that's got yeah. apparently some more endings and stuff. But it is it is a Twine game with like some actual gameplay in it. That's insulting to say to every other Twine game, I guess. For but it it has some of what what an asshole would consider to be real gameplay in it. Is it more it. like state tracking or does it like do something more complicated? It, so there, <clears throat> game? you, you are an AI that is in the, that is in the process of developing sentience and learning about stuff. And you are, your sort of behaviors are, you're, you're in a world where, computing and magic are kind of the same thing. So you like, everything in the world has an element and a motive, right? So your, your element is fire and your motive is order and you are a firewall. So like you are trying to protect the networks of these four different locations from threats. Like that's what you're trying to do. And basically it will, you can, you do a bunch of scanning and it just describes a bunch of things that are happening in the scene. And then you're sort of looking for a metaphysical threat. And the way that you do that is by scanning for specific elements and motives. And there's just a bunch of them and you're having to like solve for which is the right one. Hmm. Um, And you like sort of start talking to new people that you can then have interactions with in the future. And you learn new motives that you can then use to direct interactions with. There's a lot of systemic stuff in it that you don't, I feel like you don't normally see that in a twine game. And then there is like a really tense timed end game where you're using all of the stuff that you, that you developed over the, over the course of the game to like fight off this threat like under a timer 
Um, so it's like like about kind of reading fast and like figuring out like it's it, you only have so many resources to spend and you're trying to figure out like ah oh, well what is the most efficient thing to do to this particular aspect of the threat or like huh. you know do I divert to like try to gain a new right right person that can help me with this or whatever like yeah it's just really really good it's called open sorcery I it took about a half hour I think or maybe 40 minutes to play sorcery S-O-R or S-O-U-R S-O-R okay I think yeah. I saw this at the mega booth at PAX this year if it's the game I'm thinking of I don't have anything to say about it except thanks for reminding me of the title because it looked really good yeah, it might be newer than I th- like. I I don't know why. I don't know why I have this impression that I don't know how old it is. Because I mean, every it, every Twine game is timeless. I think right. about, I think of every Twine game as being from 2013. Is the thing like it, it's that's when Twine came out? Well, I mean, is, I feel like that's when like Porpentine's games came out, and like when when like Twine was kind of the hot hip thing. What is the new hotness if if it's not Twine? I don't know. It's not puzzle screen. None of us are cool enough to know that. Yeah, we're too old. Is it Google Docs? Is Google Docs the new hotness? Yeah, Google Docs is the new. Or uh, was it Pico? Pico 8? Oh, that's it. That's the one. Pretty good. Yeah, okay. I'm waiting for YouTube videos with uh, annotations where you make choices to really take off. Have people not (laughs) done that? I thought... It's it's been done, but it's not like... I've never seen a really good one. I saw... There was that, that... was it a Rick and Morty game that was just on their Instagram profile? Hmm. Has anybody done a YouTube choose your own adventure type thing where it's you like FMV make your, moving between different videos? No, well, no, where you make your choice, it goes to the new video, but then you start to see it's divided in two, and you see what happens with the choice you made and what was what happened if the choice the other. Ooh, choice. and then it divides into, into four, four, and then it divides and into eight. Yeah. yeah, let's do it. Right? How how cool would that be? I mean, why wouldn't you just watch all just, of them? Just, right? Because it doesn't. You just tell people which square to look at and have it get progressively smaller. <laughs> yeah. No, that's actually, yeah, that is totally, so it is just a single video. Well, because the way that, so that, so there's a, a movie called Time Code. Yeah, yeah. This mm-hmm. the four, the split, and the way that it directs attention to a particular quadrant is through audio. So the choice that you make is what gets the audio. And oh. the other ones are just silent vid- visions. I see. So. So you do need all of the videos i would i i think it would also be fun to just tell the tell the player where to look uh, anyway it's a cool idea that it is probably a cool never gonna just do. Add. yeah i'm i i i learned how to use windows movie maker enough to get okay. my talk onto vimeo my roguelike conference talk onto vimeo okay only to find that someone else had already put it on youtube but <laughs> whatever i also have a file of, i have it on my hard drive uh should we talk about the assignment yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, why not? And the assignment was? Defect Spaceship Destruction Kit. I believe okay. so. And this was a Patreon backer suggestion. Uh, so in this game, you build a spaceship, and then you pilot that spaceship in a scenario, and then... You're usually defending something or having to take out some space pirates or... There's a lot of variety in the scenarios. Um, And then inevitably at the end of a level, your crew mutinies. And then at the end of the following level, you have to fight the ship that you built for the previous level. Your crew mutinies takes your ship away. You have to build a new ship. Yeah. With given a budget from the resources that you gained in the previous level and any savings you have. Right. Um, 
which so I you, found, you want to I found build to be a f- like a secret weakness into your ship for the next time. <laughs> yeah, I, I I found I found that like a very strong design constraint because I never wanted to make a really good ship. I always wanted to make a ship that was just slightly better than what, what I had made before. <clears throat> there are other modes where just building a ship with a certain budget is just the, how it works. Rewarded, yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> that didn't bother me as much as as it did you. I think like the the spaceship creation aspect of this is really really robust. Yeah, it's two it's two dimensional, but it's really flexible. Like you can make a lot of really cool looking spaceships, and the the one thing that I wish existed in that mode was a just let me take this for a spin real quick just yeah. to like see how fast it can turn and shit because I was you end up with some real garbage turn. ships if you're not paying attention yep. yeah the stats were that's, the stats were a little baffling in that way because I, I if I couldn't take it for a spin I would also just like to understand what the stats meant well enough to know whether what I was making was garbage or not. Yeah, I learned what stability is uh, okay. by accidentally making a ship with like negative 200 stability. What does that do? It just randomly cartwheels around when you thrust. <laughs> like it just, wow. it just like the, it's just as though there's a there's a monkey just fucking with the steering wheel of the ship all the time. Okay. Um, but only when you thrust. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, the the way that you the way that you control it is also weird, weird. It's really <laughs> weird. So you can just you, you use WASD to, to thrust and turn, and you're mostly using the mouse wheel to zoom in and out uh, to, to look at what's going on. Weapons will just fire themselves when you're in range of right. enemies. But you can also choose to take direct control over any piece any of one component. Yeah. And so if you choose direct control over the engines, you will just suddenly go much faster. And that's oh, just really? like an attribute that the engines have is this is the speed bonus that you get from taking direct control of this engine. Oh, so that's huh. yeah, another way like that those parts the vary. wings, then your turning radius is much You better. can turn way yeah. faster, yeah. If I you only can, ever took direct control of, of weapons. I never realized... Yeah, if you, you control the guns, you're firing them manually, segments. and in the case of turrets, you're aiming them manually, and in the case of missiles, you're selecting targets for them manually. Oh, fascinating. Like, taking control of hull, a hull piece will repair it, which is nice, because it's just... Well, taking it, control of anything will repair it. That's, that's uh, what yeah, I thought... If it's, taking, if it's busted, yeah. That's yeah, what I like, thought direct control was for, was You take armor things. damage, but yeah, it like, any activatable uh, system taking control of it, but it's... Well, even the... Un- even the non-activatable systems, right? Because it sounds like the wings and the engines. Like... Well, I consider the wings to be a system that you activate by turning, I guess. Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> okay. Right. it's it's a thing that's associated with a particular action as okay. opposed to just, like, a part of the ship. Like, I don't know what the happens crew compartment. if... You know, like, you can add that thing that, like, vacuums up scrap at a larger distance, and I wonder if, like, manually activating that increases oh, that radius yeah. or something. Like, I, probably that's what it does. Sure. It seems like something they would think of. I reached a point where there was an array of missions laid out in front of me and I just couldn't beat any of them. Hmm. I think that I probably should just change the difficulty to easy because I think that that would make the game pretty fun. What happens when you don't beat a mission? Do you nothing? Your ship doesn't get taken. Your ship doesn't get mutinied. Yeah. I think as I recall, you just get to start over with the same amount of scrap that you had. And build a new ship. Yeah. Okay. The, the, or just use the same ship from before. But, like, you don't... 
the, the scrap number never went down for me between missions. So I don't know if I was just building ships that were cheaper than the rewards I was getting for the missions. Yeah, I'm guessing that's probably what was it's, happening. It does not signpost how it works super well. Yeah, yeah. I don't think. What? How did you like this, Jim? I barely got past the tutorial. The combat really rubbed me the wrong way. Um, I thought the... Um, Shipbuilding stuff was super interesting, and I, I would like to play with that more. Um, I thought it was really interesting that they gave you um, control of the sort order of the components of the ship, the visual sort yeah. order. Yeah. Like in Photoshop layers sort of way. Yeah, I thought that was a really neat choice, but I also thought that, like, it, it's, it got me thinking about, like, the, the implicit order that all adjectives have in the English language that I feel like there should be like a, <laughs> there should be like an implicit sort order for every spaceship component uh, sometimes you want to have your warp cells well, ab- yeah, up above but, everything yeah. sometimes you want them to be on the bottom of but the it sh- I think it should probably default to like some things are always going to go on the bottom and some things are always going to go on the top like I don't know maybe it does Everything always goes on the top. You always put the core in first, and the core is going to be wanna, on the bottom. And right? So why? What is the disadvantage to making the core real small and always in the middle of the ship where it's most protected? Like, I don't like. There were some things that I just didn't like. You could resize all of the. You could scale everything. So like, yeah. Why would you ever like scale your core so that it was the first thing that anybody hit, which would cause you to lose immediately? Like, like. Because it looks awesome. I, th- I think okay. that if there sure. is any part of your ship. Like intersecting with the core that has armor, mm-hmm. then that armor goes down when you're hit. It, it, the combat was confusing in the sense of many things were not meaningfully in the plane of your ship, and it was not ever really clear which one. Like, you cannot collide with other spaceships, but you can collide with some asteroids, depending on what color they are. Like, there are some asteroids that are obstacles, and there are some that are just scenery. And, like, planets are just scenery. Some big capital ships, like, there's just parts of them that you can shoot through. And... In some cases, it makes it really clear that, like, oh, this one is, like... black with fire shooting out of it because it's like destroyed or whatever but then in some cases it's like I just have to keep shooting at every part of this sprite until I find the part of it that it is its its hitbox and that was weird this game I think illustrates to me a couple of problems that I think might just be endemic to making games about spaceships that are both kind of a matter of scale one is that the the numbers for the stats on your ship are not really given any context mm-hmm. and can vary from like 10 to 1,000, right? And, well, I assume that they can go up to 1,000. I don't know how many. I don't know how many more hit points a ship that is 40 times the size of my ship has. Maybe it's not that many more because it's just a piece that's scaled way up whatever oh, right. yeah. but like I would go into missions a lot of the time and then just get one shot by the very first spaceship that I ran into and I'm like oh I, okay I guess I need to make a much bigger ship with a lot more hit points to be able to beat this like so it did not it give did, you any it indication adequately of, prepared yeah you. it didn't give you any indication of like what kind of enemies you were going to be facing or how you 
how you even determine like what makes an enemy hard, right? Because maybe it depends on like, you know, this one has a huge weapon, but like all you have to do is get behind it and blow up its core. Like there's a mission where you just had to do that. I'm like, oh, that's kind of clever. Like this ship just has an exposed core and it's very heavily defended in the front, but not in the back. But, and the other thing is the scale that the world is displayed to you at, which you have a lot of control over. But in order to know what's going on on the map, you need to be scrolled out to the point where you can no longer know yeah, what's going on. Can't see at your the, ship anymore. Yeah. You can't see your ship anymore. And well, that's why they have that really prominent trail to show you where you are. Yeah, and it. And it does a lot of the UI is pretty good about letting you know like which way you're facing and you know which way you're moving and stuff. And also, I think it's real generous with auto aiming because I am not nearly as good at video games as this thing was making me uh, seem making me feel like it was. I remember the other really uh, important game that I wanted to talk about. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, it was Multiball. Oh right. Oh which yeah. We have, which we have not talked about. That's true. Um, uh, let's get to that after the assignment okay. section. Um, yeah, good idea. Do you guys have anything else to say about this? Like, I, yeah, no, I would really. like to play it more. I would like to play it more on my desktop machine instead yeah. of my laptop. Because I thought the writing was pretty good. I got some chuckles out of it. Do we know if the campaign is like randomly generated? Like, is that that map looks kind of procedural? So I didn't mm. get that impression. But Do we know if it's is there like a fail state? Like what happens if you just completely run out of can you replay earlier missions to like farm I don't know stuff? It's a good question. Yeah. A lot of things I just did not did not figure out cuz I the, the main loop just didn't really grab me. I wanted to make a really cool ship but then I was like I'm just going to have to fight that with lo less resources cuz <laughs> I'm not going to have as many resources to make a new ship. That is a weird choice i mean it's i can definitely like it sounds cool on paper right if there were a more clearly signposted like rock paper scissors relationship mm -hmm. between different kinds of ship weaponry yep i i like that the different scenarios require you to bring a different kind of ship into them like this is there's this one where it's like there's this really fast ship that you have to catch and blow up before it reaches warp so you're going to need something that has a speed more than 40 to do this which I'm like oh thank you for thank you for giving me any indication at all of what kind of stats right. I might need to participate in this but it got, it's it's really hard to make a fast ship it's like because everything that you add to the ship changes everything else about the ship it's really difficult mm. to like get like oh okay I finally got a real fast ship fuck, I didn't put a crew compartment on it. Mm -hmm. So then you put the crew compartment on it, like enough crew to, rent to run these engines, like that thing is so heavy that you no longer have a fast ship. It's like, well, fuck. It did seem to be the case that the cooler looking a ship was, the more effective it was. So that's nice. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good design. The, the editing tools have a cool, like, like you can just hit S to switch it into like symmetry mode. So you can like drag a, you know, a pair of engines or a pair of wings onto a thing. But then you inevitably forget that that's on and put a pair of something that you only want one of. Yeah, and it'll, if you put it in the middle, it'll just stack two right on top of yeah. the other. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it tells you if you look on the side, but, you know. 
What uh, what is our next assignment? We are going to play Slayer Shock, the new game by David Pittman, Minor Key Games. Cool. It's like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the video game. Is it Buffy Buffy the Vampire uh, System Shock? Buffy Buffy System Shock? Mm-hmm. Buffy System? Yeah. Okay. Procedurally generated levels. You're going around killing vampires and missions, leveling up, getting new stakes. I don't think you get new stakes. You just have are the stakes high? It, yeah. They are. Yeah, you can you can do them high or low depending on whether you're trying to get the heart or the crotch. Sir, certain vampires. Um, There's ass vampires that can only be killed by a stake in the ass. <laughs> uh, why don't you tell us about Multi Bowl? Oh yeah, so Multi Bowl is this game that Bennett Foddy and somebody else Alec made. Alec Thompson um, or AP Thompson. And I like. We had heard about this years ago. It, I think they've been working on this for a really long time, but it is essentially a it is a wrapper for a bunch of mess sets. and mame, which are which collectively can emulate just about any video game, like yeah. console games and arcade games. And there is this collection of like at this point two hundred and some. They are two-player games at a moment of tension yeah so that like save then states. have yeah they, so they'll 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 get a game into a tense moment and then they will pop it up tell you what you're supposed to be doing but like not how the controls work or anything and then you have like 20 seconds to like meet some goal and the 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 best example i think the most illustrative example is like at a certain point it's like okay now you're playing rampage and you start out with both of you on tops of, of buildings of similar height on either end of the screen, and the first person to touch the ground loses. This is familiar. Yeah. Did we not talk about this? Uh, we, I think we might have mentioned it before, but we had not played yeah, it. Yeah, we hadn't played uh, okay. it, and then we suddenly, and then I suddenly played a shitload of it because I like made it Inter- to the... Into the tournament. Yeah, I made it to the finals in the tournament oh, that wow. they had, yeah. uh, which I have to play it on stage in front of people tomorrow. I mean, I guess I was playing it on stage in front of people the first time the first time but uh got real lucky over and over again but just yeah we like we had we had heard about it and been told about it but we had never played it or seen a lot of it being played and it is fucking great one round of the tournament was zach johnson versus zach johnson yeah that's pretty good because we we signed up adjacent to each other um uh it's very satisfying it's a really good game though uh it needs it needs some massaging of its randomness to not come up with the same, same game. game over and over again, <laughs> yep. which is something that just not, like genuine randomness is dissatisfying. Yep. You know, so it needs something to deal with that. But uh, yeah, other than that, it's a great game that you'll probably never get to play because it's never going to be distributed. Yeah, there's there. no way it like it, because it's it just so it illegal. just ships with so much <laughs> copyright infringement yeah. built into it. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm guessing I think this that it is will a, just a clear up. cut case for a for the failure of the copy of copyright law. Yep. You know, I think this will be a thing that you can get if you want it. <laughs> oh yeah, a game that you what that you can get if you want it. Maybe. I think it's like not done now. I, like I'm surprised that that's a good question. I don't know. Because I know that like Jake got a copy of it, so we had it at the office for a while, like as of a couple weeks ago. Um, so I think it was in just kind of like friend beta testing for a while from Bennett, but and then it was like just at this event. But this is the first time I remember seeing it. It was at XOXO. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. 
but yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be a thing that is primarily just an exhibition game for the for the most part. I feel like most of his stuff, like speed chess, is only ever at. Sure, that, I mean that one's tough because you need sixteen controllers, right? <laughs> um, but like Quop, you know. Well, sure, yeah. Gurp. Some of his stuff, then I would say his exhibition games are primarily exhibition games. <laughs> that's, that's a good point. That's probably true. Guys, do you know uh, who this episode of Video Games Hot Dog was brought to us by? Who? Us. Our generous Patreon backers. Tangerine Are, are we backing our own Patreon? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Museo Correr. Uh, Sneeze O'Reilly. Fruit Basket. Sneeze Guard O'Reilly. Operating License. Ted. Ted Kaczynski. <laughs> Vizio Television. <laughs> Leather El- Couch. Elmer Shrubber Cement. okay uh gentlemen i've had a fantastic time uh, on this leather couch next to this video television (laughs) and this museo career poster recording this episode of video games hot dog with you and i hope we do it again just just ever so soon and listeners i hope that you'll join us and until you do jim what 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 do i what do i uh, have to do say something now and until you do Oh, am I I'm expected to speak? Is this something I do now? <laughs> and we hope you'll join us. And until you do, uh, what, what? Huh? Are we are we waiting for me? <laughs> Gentlemen, I've had a fantastic time recording this episode of Video Games Hot Dog with you, and I hope we do it again ever so soon. And listeners, I hope you'll join us. And until you do. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs> have, a, have, have a great week, everyone. Good night.